This is Atenea Americana. Atenea Americana. Atenea Americana. A window to the Latin universe. Stanford, 90.1 FM. Radio Atenea Americana. This is Atenea Americana. Bilingual house of culture. On the air and online. Radio Atenea Americana. Su casa de la cultura en la radio y online. Para la radio 90.1 KCSU Stanford. I am Isabel Juves. Isabel Juves. Bienvenidos. Atenea Americana. Welcome. Bienvenidos. From Stanford to the world. Today, our story is about women in leadership. It is about stepping up to great challenges, about success, and about military life. It is also about family and about following your dreams even when they seem really big. Today, I am bringing you a conversation with Graciela Tiscareño Sato and her wonderful life. Tiscareño is the daughter of working immigrants in Colorado, first of five siblings who found a sea of possibilities in the military. She got high-level education from a worldwide leading university with a scholarship from the U.S. Air Force before committing to a life in service. But later, as an officer, she learned about being a pilot about navigating and all about the engineering technical matters of these complicated and very sophisticated machines that she rode for many years until her retirement. She is a veteran, an author, a small business owner and a positive force of inspiration to many with all her books and her public speaking career. It helps little boys see that, yes, girls do fly airplanes. And so it's beneficial to little boys to understand all those things that girls are capable of. Because you don't want to have the little boy who goes to school and tells girls that they can't fly airplanes. Today, I'll bring you a profile of Capitan Mama and her path to success. And uh, today we have Graciela Tiscareño Sato. She is an amazing character, an amazing person. She was a pilot from the U.S. Air Force. KC-135s, the refueling tankers, flying gas station. So she was a pilot for the Air Force. It's not that she can just drive these amazing, very complicated machines, but she also studied uh, architecture. She also studied green buildings and technology, but then she went to study business. And now she has written some amazing books about leaderships, about business and communications, but also books for kids uh, who have parents in the military and actually for any kid in general, talking about... Uh, her life, but also teaching them a lesson about responsibility and about what is the army and uh, how mothers and women can do all this amazing, come to the show. Thank you so much for coming. <laughs> Thank you, Isabel. Thank you for having me here today. What made you go to the army? 
So I am the oldest of five children born mm-hmm. to Arturo and Tina Tiscareño, uh, both from Mexico. Mm-hmm. And early on in my junior high schooling time, I had all friends with college-educated parents. Mm-hmm. And my parents uh, did not have that opportunity. So I started noticing that they seemed to have more comfortable lives. They traveled. They had bigger houses. And I just thought, hmm, how do I go to college? And it was that early thinking being surrounded by children of college-educated parents that led me to really start thinking about my own future. Mm-hmm. So what happened was I talked to my high school counselor, and I said, look, I have desire to go to college, but I don't know how that's going to happen because nobody can help me. So you're my counselor. You need to help me. And she said, come to my house for dinner, and my husband will tell you about the Air Force, ROTC. That means Reserve Officer Training Corps scholarship that he used to go to college. And that was the first time I learned about that because I was the kid who had no military experience in our family, zero And when the recruiters came to high school in the cafeteria to try to recruit people to go in after high school, I avoided them because I wanted to go to college. And they're there to take kids directly into the military. Mm -hmm. So when my counselor told me this, I learned there's another way. The military will pay for you to get your university education on scholarship. And then you go in not as an enlisted person, you know, straight out of high school. You go in as an officer as a leader. And that was much more appealing to me. So that's how I got introduced to the idea of service in the military. And it was my counselor's husband, who is an Air Force major, who told me about the scholarship. So, you know, from a tiny little town in northeastern Colorado, where the biggest employer was meatpacking plant, and there's a lot of cows, the fact that I went to Berkeley and ended up serving on military airplanes is Mm -hmm. just one big miracle. And that's that's really, I've come to recognize that, and that's why I'm so motivated to spread the word about how I did it mm-hmm. to our young people so that more can take those opportunities. Great. And so how, how is the training on the Army life for women? So it's Air Force. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a very different than the Army. Mm-hmm. Um, so we have four branches of the military, so mm-hmm. let me define those first. So Army is the soldiers on the ground, uh, like Marines are also on the ground, very mm-hmm. specialized, ground-based, you know, the oldest services. Mm-hmm. And then there's the Navy who uh, does all the training and fighting in the ocean, you know, on water. And then, of course, there's land missions as well. But the Air Force, you know, we're the baby service. We're the youngest service of all, and we're the ones uh, – the Air Force became officially an Air Force in 1947, part of the Army before that, but then we became our own Air Force. Mm -hmm. So um, the training started at Berkeley when I got my scholarship and I came out to Berkeley. So, you know, think about this. I'm growing up in Colorado, Mm -hmm. the daughter of Mexican immigrants. And one day I get a note, uh, a letter accepting me to Berkeley Mm -hmm. and another letter awarding me my scholarship. And my mom, instead of being happy, Mm -hmm. cried. Oh. Las vecinas, they said, the neighbors said, um, are you really going to leave your mother? Because culturally, this is a really crazy thing I'm doing. I'm getting a scholarship and I'm moving 1,100 miles away to an elite university to go join the military. Mm-hmm. So the word rebelde that had been put on me from before, I'm living up to it, right? So I came out there and um, I came out to Berkeley and pretty much just right away, once a week, you wear the Air Force uniform. You learn the Air Force traditions, the history. How do we become the Air Force? Um, the history of what we've been doing. You learn the mission. You learn a little bit about airplanes. But really what you're learning when you're 18 years old 
is how to behave as a future leader and as a military officer. So that was the very first valuable training. So from a very young age in college,、mm-hmm. I was in a leadership situation and actually being responsible for projects and then later on for people. And yeah, we were very outnumbered. We we're probably、mm, maybe twelve women out of sixty that we had at the time. Um, and then you go to the summer training, and that's where I got exposed to airplanes. And I had a, a female pilot that took me up in the air in Arizona, and we went upside down, and we went all over the place. And it was—I was loving it. I had never been on a plane before, because the <laughs> oldest of five kids, born to Mexican immigrants, we didn't take airplane flights for、Aww. vacation. Okay, so my first airplane <laughs> ride was in a military T-37 jet、wow. over the desert of Arizona with a lady pilot flying. <laughs> So it was. It was crazy, and she said, "You can do this. Just go back and tell them that you want to be considered for a pilot or navigator position." I said, "Okay." So again, she's teaching me. I don't know how to do this. So I came back after that summer of training, and I finished, you know, very high in the physical fitness scores and the academics. So then the process is that the、uh, the leadership of the university, the、mm-hmm. the training group, they submit your name for board consideration. So the board gets all these packages of all these Air Force cadets at universities, and they select who's going to go to pilot training, who's going to go to navigator training. And I was selected not for pilot training; I was selected for navigator training.、Mm-hmm. Okay, so the navigators are military. Aviators, just like pilots, but we have different missions. So my mission on this flying gas station was all the math.、Mm-hmm. So I had to do all the math. I call it base sixty math、mm-hmm. at four hundred and fifty miles an hour anywhere on the globe. So that was to get airplanes together in the sky, so that we could give them gas from our airplane、mm-hmm. to their airplane. So it's a flying gas station,、mm-hmm. but there's an incredible amount of math and coordination and. Navigation that has to happen to、mm-hmm. meet up with other airplanes, you know, during combat or just for training over the ocean, over Malaysia, over Germany, wherever you happen to be, and so that was the really cool training. The flight training,、um, I have a picture I show when I speak of a, a presentation called "The STEM of Aviation," because、mm-hmm. science, tech, engineering, and math converge in the airplanes. So when I speak, I show this picture, and it's my graduation picture. In、uh, Sacramento, and it's twenty-four guys in their military uniform, and me in my skirt.、Mm-hmm. And I show that picture because on graduation day, my mom was there, and I remember、mm-hmm. that she yelled, "Ahua, la única falda, la única mujer." <laughs> my mom said that on graduation day. So it's a really cool picture because, yeah, it's twenty-four to one. The the message there, you know, and any time that that girls find themselves outnumbered by boys, it just doesn't matter because you're supposed to be there. You belong there, yeah, and you're needed there. And so I tell girls, you know, don't let the fact that you're the only one there be the reason that you don't go because then they're zero. Yes. <laughs> Today we're talking with Graciela Tiscareño Sato. She is a businesswoman, a U.S. Air Force veteran, an author, and a mother. Stay with us to listen to her great stories of success and leadership. There were always more guys than than girls. There were always more men than women in your path. I have a good friend at NASA. She said, "If you're waiting for a mentor that looks like you, 
you will never be first at anything. I think that's a very important <laughs> thought. So, so yeah, I was always outnumbered by the, the guys, but I, I didn't care. I loved what I was doing. I was excited to be there. I knew I was blessed to be there. Mm-hmm. And I was going to learn as much as they were, and I was going to do it better than they were going to do. And so I actually ended up graduating very high in my class. So that gives you an idea of what the training is like early on. And then, of course, you specialize in your own airplane. The, you know, this one, you do your first flight, undergraduate flight training. And then you do your specialized training in either fighters or airlift or tankers. And so for that, I went down to Central Valley. Uh-huh. Uh, close to Merced, Atwater. Uh, and that's while you're at college? or This is after. Summers after. Yeah, so, so college, college yeah. The... yeah, college is the first few years, the, f- mm-hmm. the training in the middle where you get your first taste of flying, mm-hmm. and then the leadership labs, and then you end up being a, a senior student, and then you run the cadet corps. Mm-hmm. When you finish, you become a lieutenant. And so another picture I show when I speak is I'm at the top of the Campanile in Berkeley, and my mom and dad are on either side of me, and they're each putting a gold bar on my uniform. Wow. And that's the day I became a lieutenant. Very, very important and happy day for all of us is, yeah. you know, actually graduation and becoming a military officer and raising the right hand and swearing to support mm-hmm. and defend the Constitution of the United States against all enemies, foreign and domestic, and the entire oath that we take to mm-hmm. serve. So, so that was an amazing, amazing day, and I'd, I'd love to share that photograph. And all this after school and before being a pilot. From there comes the flight training that I described in Sacramento. So your first either pilot training or your first navigation training. And then when you finish that, you get your wings. Mm -hmm. Now you're officially finished. And not everybody finishes. A lot of people drop out. They don't make it, the academics and the flying. But then when you make it, then you you get uh, to track into your special airplane you're going to go fly in. And then you do another set of training. In this case, it was about four or five months to learn the systems on this plane and, very importantly, to learn to work as a team. Because on the KC-135 that um, that I used to fly on, there's a pilot in the left seat, there's a pilot in the right seat, there's a navigator in the middle, and then there's the boom operator in the back. And that's the person that actually steers the big giant pipe Mm-hmm. called the boom, that refuels the other airplane. So only the person in the back who's the enlisted person, mm-hmm. he or she went in after high school. They're the only ones that actually get to see the plane coming in the back and actually put the pipe in there like the gasoline mm-hmm. and actually do that part. So it's a whole team. It's really incredible training. Well, well, of course, a lot of very specialized people because, I mean, these are huge machines flying in the air with their own turbulence and their power. And it really amazed me how delicate that operation can get. So that was, uh, that's what I did second. And then from there, Mm -hmm. you're finally trained on an airplane. You can finally go somewhere. And then they Mm -hmm. send you to your first base. And I was up in Washington State um, in Spokane, Washington. Fairchild Air Force Base was my first assignment. Well, and did you you get to pilot different kind of planes during your career? Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's different trainings. There's mm-hmm. different trainings, and so you get to go. Sometimes you fly in small planes, again, just to learn how to put together. There's a lot of book learning first, mm-hmm. right? You have to learn what is a hydraulic system? Mm-hmm. How does a plane fly? So first you're really in the basics of what is thrust, lift, drag, weight? What are the forces that are exerting on a plane? Mm-hmm. And then you learn different systems. Like you learn how to read charts. You learn how to do navigation calculations of what the speed is, which direction. Mm-hmm. You learn how to draw your course on the chart if you're going to go that way or that way. Mm-hmm. And then you learn you know, how to correct you learn how to look at your instruments. So 
there's a lot of different training that goes ground school first, and mm-hmm. then you go up in the small planes to apply the basic knowledge. Mm-hmm. And then from there, you go into the jets, because mm-hmm. now you're flying a lot faster than like a Cessna, for example. A Cessna is very slow. It's the general aviation aircraft you see around here. Mm-hmm. But suddenly, you're in these airplanes, and you're, you know, empty. This plane weighs 120,000 pounds, but it carries 180,000 pounds of gas. Wow. So that thing fully loaded is 300,000 pounds taking off. So the speeds are different. The thrust ratio, everything's different. Mm -hmm. So you learn the basics in college and in your first training. And then as you get more advanced, you learn more and more training, um, more and more systems. Mm -hmm. When you get off the ground, you have all this uh, gas on you, all this weight. Mm -hmm. If you need to come back, uh, can you come back with the full plane? Because I heard that, like, for example, real uh, passengers' uh, planes, they cannot just go back when they have the full... Right. uh, So passenger planes, they have to go into holding. You just go around and around and burn some gas. The fabulously wonderful thing about the tanker is we have Mm -hmm. this pipe and we can just throw the gas out the back. Mm -hmm. So luckily we didn't ever have to do that. Mm -hmm. You know, we... Actually, one time over the, yeah, there was one time over Iraq, we went over the the Red Sea over there, and we dumped a lot of gas to go land in, in an emergency. But that's pretty cool because you just literally, you put the boom down. Yeah. It's like a hose out the back. You turn the fuel tanks on, and you just let the gas go out, and it evaporates, right? So yeah. it doesn't, like, hit the ground. It just evaporates. Yeah. Um, but it's nice to have that option because, yeah, when you're that heavy, you can't land because then you'll explode your tires. You told me that with the Air Force, you met all the buildings around, well, a lot of your dream buildings around mm-hmm. the world. You travel a lot. Yes. So at Berkeley, my major was environmental design and architecture. Mm-hmm. And then as a scholarship cadet, I was also enrolled in the aerospace studies program. So I had effectively like two majors that I was doing. One of them was about buildings and history and architecture and design. And the other one was all the ground school and the Air Force history and all the aerospace studies. So when people say, well, how did those things, like how did you end up in the Air Force after studying architecture? So, well, I studied both of these things, right? Mm-hmm. But luckily for me, uh, I was in love with architectural history. I was in love with the history of, of buildings going back as far as, you know, the first civilizations in Sumeria and ancient Iraq, all mm-hmm. of that. And then the airplane, because it is a jet and it goes all over the world and I was qualified to fly in it, I was deployed all over Europe and I was deployed to Greece and different islands in Greece and definitely been to Turkey, definitely been to Saudi Arabia. And so I actually got to go to these places Mm -hmm. that were featured in my architecture history book. And I never would have imagined that a little girl from northeastern Colorado would ever get to do that kind of travel. But it was that combination of being aware of architecture in the world mm-hmm. combined with having the transportation because I was assigned to this military plane. <laughs> that combination was amazing. So, yeah, I've um, I've lived on four continents and I've visited over 40 countries at this point. Yeah. So, and you got married and you got your family while you were still on the, on the force. So, my fiancé mm-hmm. is the guy who put the wings on my chest the day I graduated from flight school. Oh. I knew him from Berkeley. His name mm-hmm. is Genro. And we were both trombone players in the Cal Marching Band. So there's a funny story. We met in the trombone section. So we knew each other the whole time, but we didn't really start dating until our senior year when both of us were elected to run the marching band. So in leadership, we met. And, you know, when you 
when you're 21 years old and you're a couple and you're dating and you're running a marching band, Mm -hmm. that's a great practice for having a very complicated life and marriage later because we're responsible for 200 students and logistics and all this. So he um, he was here. I was training in Sacramento. And then he proposed pretty much on his knee one hour after I got my wings. Oh. Because he had asked me before. He said, um, if I asked you to marry me, what do you think you would say? <laughs> Let's <laughs> make sure. it out. <laughs> but I said, well, it depends on when you ask. Mm-hmm. If you ask when I know what I'm doing because I'm focusing on my education and my career first, if you ask at the right time, mm-hmm. the answer will be yes. If you do it too soon, then I might not be so sure. So he waited one hour after pinning the wings on and then he proposed. (laughs) So he was with me as soon as we moved to our first assignment up to Washington State. But remember, I was flying. I was in Saudi Arabia every year. Mm -hmm. I did not want to have children and be gone Mm -hmm. all the time. So we made a conscious choice to wait five years to have kids and then talk about it. Well, five years came like that. At five years, we said, um, no. (laughs) <laughs> Not yet. Because he was having fun. He was coming to, to Europe with me, and he was coming to South America with me when I was working at the embassy. And so we just we couldn't see how we could have kids and still do this. So we waited until um, I served for nine years, three months, mm-hmm. finished my master's degree in international business and marketing, um, decided to come back to California, and then 18 months after leaving the airplane is when we had our first child. Mm-hmm. So we intentionally waited nine years into our marriage so we could enjoy being yeah, a couple and, kids, yeah. and travel and then have kids and then really be ready to, to be parents. So we made very conscious choices there. Good. Yeah. Good. This is Atenea Americana and I am your host, Isabel Jubes. You may find this and all my shows at stanfordhispanicbroadcasting.org. This is a bilingual cultural show bringing you a window to the Latin and Hispanic universe every week for two hours, one in English and one in Spanish from Stanford to the world. You can also be part of this, leaving me your comments, sharing your thoughts, and even more at stanfordhispanicbroadcasting.org. I invite you to be part of this. And today we're talking with Graciela Tiscareño Sato, a businesswoman, a U.S. Air Force veteran, an author, and a mother. So now this is the next step on your life. You have three kids. You are no longer in the military. Can you tell us a little bit more about it, about your kids and about your life? I have three, yes. The oldest is Milagro, mm-hmm. and she is 13, and she was born one pound, two ounces at mm-hmm. 25 weeks. So she was the, the first baby and, you know, just lost her, almost lost her mind. She was hospitalized for uh, 137 days, and there was five surgeries, and mm-hmm. uh, it was easily the most difficult time of our lives to, to get through that. And now she's 13, and she's just an excellent student and a great learner. And she doesn't see anything but light, and she doesn't hear without her technology. But she effectively does hear now very well. And she's learning to play the piano, and she's great at reading, and she loves science. And then I have my second child, who's 10, a little girl, and then my little boy, who's 8. Que todo ano cai a neve ou passa sol. 
And today we're talking with Graciela Tiscareño, Sato. In Capitan uh, Mom, in your book, there is about this conversation with your kid, one of your kids actually, who inspired the book. It, that's the one, that's uh, your little boy. Yes, Kiyoshi, actually, he's the one who inspired uh, Buenas Noches, Capitan Mama, Good Night, Captain Mama. Mm -hmm. um, he saw me in my uniform. There's actually a, a cute video at CaptainMama.com of my son. Mm -hmm. And it, he's in his pajamas, and he came in to see me. I'm in my flight suit, and I said to my husband, get the camera, because he's never seen me in this before. And it was the uh -huh. night before Veterans Day. I was going to go present at his preschool. Uh -huh. So get the camera. I'm curious to see what he's going to ask. Mm -hmm. So he came in and started pulling all the different patches off the uniform and asking questions, and he liked the sound. But then when he walked out, you see in the video, he says, I love you, Captain Mama. Uh -huh. So as he walked out, he invented this character of Captain Mama. Uh -huh. And I remember, Isabel, I went downstairs and I got my laptop and I wrote the story right then, the first draft. I captured this conversation of a small child uh -huh. trying to understand what is this uniform? What are the, you know, the insignia? What does it mean? Why did she do this? Because I didn't have any time to think about it. He was just yeah. asking. And so that's what this first book is in the series is what does Captain Mama do? Why is it important? And just the child understanding why his mother serves in the military. And now with the second book, we're taking them out to the airplane and we're going to show little Marco, the little boy in the book, and his classmates what the airplane is and why it takes four people to fly the mission. And so we're going to introduce them to this KC-135. Marco, by the way, mm -hmm. the name of the child is named after my younger brother, Marco, mm -hmm. who is a U.S. Navy chief. Oh. And I have to say, he's currently deployed somewhere in the world. I don't know where. Yeah. He's out there somewhere right now on deployment. So Amazing. Great military family. That's why I chose the name Marco, for the little boy to honor my brother's service. Oh. And I think it, it is very important what it shows to the kids. It shows a woman in leadership, among uh, many other things. Mm -hmm. It teach uh, kids about their parents being on the army right. and about bigger responsibilities right. and about very technical, like moms can do very technical, strong things. Exactly. So, you know, when when the conversation happened with my son, I just, I really just kept it that way. I kept the little boy as the little guy who's asking. And of course, mama is, is the mama. But I added two sisters for him so that the little girls also have a chance to see the mother in this very non-traditional role. What I can tell you is this is the first bilingual children's book about military women. Never before has anybody written a book in English and Spanish on this theme of military women. And I guess I'm not surprised by it. It took somebody like me, whose first language was Espanol, <laughs> to write a book like that. And so I'm very proud of it because it does teach all children... Um, about the many ways that women are serving in uniform across a lot of different services. Um, it gives the little boy a, a pride in his mother. So the little boy can be proud of his mother's career and profession. Mm -hmm. And um, it, it helps little boys see that, yes, girls do fly airplanes. Yeah. And so it's beneficial to little boys to understand all those things that girls are capable of. Because you don't want to have the little boy who goes to school and tells girls that they can't fly airplanes. You don't want to. You don't want to be that boy. Yeah. <laughs> so this yeah. book, you know, shows that. But then, very importantly, it also honors the military child mm -hmm. who you know makes his and her sacrifices in their own way when mommy mm -hmm. and daddy go away. Mm 
Mm-hmm. So it honors the military child very much. But what I love the most is that it um, sparks dreams in our Latino children. And um, I did an entire assembly in Spanish in San Leandro for Veterans Day. The whole school was there, 500 kids, and 80% of them are English learners. And so I was invited to speak. I read the book. I projected the images. I showed pictures and video of my service, you know, the actual plane of me in uniform. So I really told my Uh story, and I read the book. Um, At the very end, a little girl who's five, Mm -hmm. she was in the front row in kindergarten. She pulled on my sleeve, (laughs) and she said, Capitana Mama, Capitana Mama, she's so excited. Yo también quiero volar aviones como tú. which means I also want to fly on the airplanes like you did. Mm -hmm. And so I came down, and I held her hand, and I looked her in the eye, and I said, I know you're going to learn all the reading and all the math and all the science and everything you need to learn to grow up and fly airplanes Mm -hmm. or something else. And don't you ever let anybody tell you that you can't. Mm -hmm. And I tell you that story because, for me, that's the most important thing, is children's minds are infected with imagination of characters and of what's possible if they get those books. Yes. And so that a little tiny girl who's just like me in kindergarten speaking only Spanish, mm-hmm. that she now thinks and wants to at the age of five, she wants to fly her when she grows up. Yes. Imagine what's going to happen in her life that she has that idea that it's possible. Yeah. I can't wait to see what she's going to do. Yes. <laughs> but it's that idea of a book and a story and then meeting a person that gives you permission to just think big, crazy thoughts. Yes. That's why I publish. And you you have uh, won a lot of prizes with this book in particular. Let's move, then we yes. move to the other ones. <laughs> yes. So what's really cool about mm-hmm. having this first bilingual children's book about military women, and, and you know, it's, it's mm-hmm. innovation, right? Yes. So it's innovative. So the first award that we won was uh, Best Educational Children's Book at the International Latino Book Awards. Um last summer in Las Vegas at the American Library Association. So the ALA is the big library and association around the country. And this year they actually hosted the International Latino Book Awards at their national convention. So I've been saying Latino literature going mainstream, right? Mm -hmm. Because, yes, this is Latino literature because, you know, we created it and I'm Latina, but this book applies to anybody that wants to know about military women. Mm -hmm. So that it won that award is huge. I was so excited. So Best Educational Children's Book, bilingual, bilingual category. And then the second award was the Independent Publishers Association, which is a big national contest of small publishers that compete Mm -hmm. Um, And then there's judging and all of that. And we won a silver award in that category. And then, very importantly, the Military Writers Society of America has a competition where those of us who are servicemen and women and veterans, our work is evaluated by a judge and given feedback. Mm -hmm. And so we won uh, a medal in that award as well. So that's pretty cool, those three awards. But uh, at the very end of the year, I got a message from Writer's Digest magazine, Mm -hmm. which is the prominent magazine for writers around the country. And it's actually international. And they selected uh, our Goodnight Captain Mama as the first place winner in the children's picture book category. The first time they've ever Mm -hmm. selected a bilingual book as the winner. Mm -hmm. So that's huge because when the magazine comes out in May and June, this book and this work and the work that I'm doing is going to be featured in this magazine, which is going to be tremendous. And so Latino literature has gone mainstream and, you know, teachers buy it. They read it for Women's History Month, which is now. They read it for, um, you know, Hispanic Heritage Month to, you know, contributions in the military. They read it, of course, for Veterans Day. And there's just a lot of times of the year when this book is perfect for the classroom. 
Thank you for listening to Atenea Americana, your house of culture in the radio and online. In this bilingual show, I bring you every week one hour in English and one hour in Spanish, opening a window to the cultural Hispanic world. You can hear in the intro and at the final of the show, as well as right now, music from the legend of Latin jazz, Oscar Hernandez. This and all my shows are in stanfordhispanicbroadcasting.org, where I wait for your comments. I invite you to be part of this. And today we're talking with Graciela Tiscareño Salto, a businesswoman, a U.S. Air Force veteran, an author, and a mother. And then you also created an independent publisher mm -hmm. a company, Yes. Uh, and uh, you are dedicating it also to Latino causes and leaderships. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So this is the second title. Mm -hmm. The first title is Latinovating, Green American Jobs and Latinos Creating Them. Mm -hmm. I actually launched this book here on campus. Mm -hmm. uh, we were talking earlier about the summit. Yes. So in 2011 at the Silicon Valley Latino Leadership Summit, that's the day I launched this book. Mm -hmm. And Latinovating is the business case study series that I'm putting together. And this is also very innovative. It's the first uh, leadership series about green economy leadership and innovation uh, created by Latinos mm -hmm. and Latinas. So it's a book that is intended for sixth grade and all the way through business school because everybody can learn from innovative, creative Latinos who are pursuing their education, pursuing engineering, pursuing finance, fashion design, you know, all the different curricula that's possible. A lot of STEM degrees, too, so that they can be their own business people. So when I was doing that study to write this first book, mm -hmm. I realized that what I'm not going to do is the status quo, which is find a literary agent, you know, try to find a publisher in New York. And that's the old way. Mm -hmm. The new way is we create our own publishing businesses. We yes. publish what we want to publish in the world. We don't need anybody's permission. Mm -hmm. And then there's also the business side. You know, if you get an agent and you do all that, then you're giving up like 90% of the revenue yeah. to the publisher. So why do I want a publisher in New York to profit from the stories of Latino entrepreneurs? Yeah, I don't. I want to start that company. And I want to own the rights. And I want to sell hardback rights to turn this into a university acquisition You know, so that universities use it in hardback. So I want to have all that. But very importantly, it's to tell the stories of people like me who think outside the box and who think about creating new businesses that add unique value mm -hmm. to tell our stories. So the company name is Gracefully Global Group. Mm -hmm. We're an LLC. We're woman-owned business, Latino-owned business. We're veteran-owned business. We've got all those certifications. So now we're starting to do work with federal agencies mm -hmm. because there is such a need for our stories, not only in our own communities, but in schools, universities, community colleges. And I am just so excited to have a network of highly innovative Latinos and Latinas who are innovating as if the planet matters. And that's really the mission of the company is to showcase the positive contributions of Latino Americans in the USA. It's a simple mission. Great. And your media are the books that you're creating. Um, doing it through literature is very yes. important, again, just because of the impact. Books and e-books, because we go in all formats. Mm -hmm. Okay, We're in print. We're in all the e-books on Kindle and Kobo and iPad, everything. And for kids, too. I mean, not just for everybody, but even stronger for kids. The mm -hmm. impact that literature and stories have on young minds. Yes. 
is is very very important. So that's why we're doing it that way yes. uh, through literature and and also with the green uh, approach. Uh, also, the next books in this series are going to mm -hmm. have the environmentally all of them. Yeah. Every single story that I write is a person who was raised in a culture of conservation, mm -hmm. was raised in a culture of reuse, was raised in a family that didn't believe in throwing things away, that you could always do something else creative with it. Mm -hmm. And that kind of thinking is really the root of innovating a green business. Yes. That from the first day, you don't want a lot of waste. Mm -hmm. From the first day, you don't want... Um, to just say that it's green, you want it to actually be really green. Mm -hmm. And so that deep, 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 deep um, culture and family values that now translates into business creation, mm -hmm. it's a very powerful story within our culture, mm -hmm. no matter which country we come from. Yes. And it's a story that hasn't been told before. So the next six are totally different industries than the first mm -hmm. ten. And I've already got seven books planned out. So there's Great. many and, stories. Uh, I also see you in your social networks that you put a lot of effort uh, spreading the word mm -hmm. and uh, going to a lot of leadership talks yes. and uh, all, all these big events. You even went to the White House mm -hmm. not that long ago mm -hmm. and met with the First Lady. Mm -hmm. <laughs> mm -hmm. Uh, yeah. With both with both fields about Latinos about women in uh, in the military uh, veteran affairs all yeah. these fronts at the same right. time yeah well it comes back down to the mission of the company mm -hmm. which is showcase the positive contributions of Latino Americans in the USA mm -hmm. and you can't showcase unless you're actively promoting and actively being seen because you can have great stories and publish amazing case studies of phenomenal people but if nobody knows. Then you're not really showcasing anything. So I make a very hard push to get these stories in front of people. And that includes, you know, the schools and universities and parents buying the books. But very importantly, it includes, um, you know, there's a lot of brands now that want to get cozy with the Latino community. Mm -hmm. And with military veterans, they want to have us buy things. A lot of brands see Latinos as, you know, big giant market that we are. Mm -hmm. But we're more than consumers. We are talent. We are educated. We can be the employees of the tech companies here in the Valley and everywhere. But we need to know who they are. So mm -hmm. I'm partnering with brands like Oracle, headquartered here in Redwood City, that want me to be the spokesperson at the conferences where I speak mm -hmm. and give the books away. Mm -hmm. So the brand sponsors the books. The brand goes into the community with mommy and papi and whoever's there or the teachers. The kids get free books. The brand says a gift from Oracle. So it's multicultural marketing meets educational publishing. Mm -hmm. That's a very unique niche because there's so many brands that want to be known to our community. And I say, great, cuddle up with the Latino community, but let's cuddle up with award-winning literature. Yes. And so that's how I'm doing it so that they get the visibility as brands that they want because mm -hmm. that book's going to circulate for years and years and years. Mm -hmm. And then I get to go to conferences and I get to be the speaker because that's what I do. I'm a keynote speaker all over the country at educational conferences and companies mm -hmm. and schools and universities. And then I show up and I give away books. And I love that because right. that's with my social mission. And, you know, once a year we have one nonprofit organization where we will give away Latinovating books at a conference for students. Like usually, like last year, it was Latinas in STEM, mm -hmm. an event in Hayward, and like 250 girls were there. They met all kinds of engineers and technical Latinas, and then mm -hmm. I was a speaker at the end, and I gave books away to everybody. So once a year, I gift 
to an organization like that. And then with the children's book, what we do is there's an organization in Syracuse University uh, called VWISE, which means Veteran Women Igniting the Spirit of Entrepreneurship, VWISE. And they take women like me, leaving the service, and they teach you how to be an entrepreneur. And so they take women who have already been there, done that, you know, they're used to doing the hard stuff in the military. Mm-hmm. Now, what if you could give them business skills? Because they're thinking of something that can be better. So what if you actually took those women and trained them to be entrepreneurs? And that's what VWISE does. So we donate annually to that program mm-hmm. to support their mission as well, because that mission is very important to me as well. Is let's take the women instead of who wants to hire a vet, which is important, but you yeah. know, who wants to help a vet become her own businesswoman? Yes. Even more important. Even more important. Yeah, yeah. So, so we have a very much a social mission, not only showcasing our imagery and our, our very talented Hispanic community, but also to give back with literature in, in very real ways. Both great. You know, thankfully, still living, still healthy, and uh, they're in El Paso, in Texas. And so I was there in October celebrating my dad's 87th birthday. Great. So he's strong. You know, my parents, they, they're the dancers. So, you know, God willing, they'll make it to 100. And very proud, I bet. Very proud of all your accomplishments. Yes, definitely. You know, for, for a long time when I moved, um, there was that whole uncertainty of what does it mean that my daughter is so far away in yeah. college, right? Is it good? Is it bad? Is yeah. it okay? <laughs> what exactly, is sure? exactly. And so they've mm-hmm. actually really helped me with, you know, the mission. The, the books are part of what we do. We also have DVDs that tell my daughter Milagro's story, the special education. And so we're actually, with my parents, I made um, a recording, uh, La Vista de Largo Plazo, which we're productizing. Mm-hmm. But this is... Um, Imagine if you're an immigrant parent and you really are not sure that you want to let your daughter go far away for college. Mm -hmm. You have that hesitation. It's not culturally what you do. And rather that she stays close to you. Well, imagine listening to my parents tell you now Mm -hmm. why you must let your kids go. Yes. That's what we recorded. Yeah. And also, like, I was there. I was nervous. I wasn't sure. I We asked, like, please don't go. But she went anyway. (laughs) And look what happened. Right. And so we have a short conversation. Mm-hmm. It's 25 minutes long. I asked them four questions. What were you hoping for when you moved here from Mexico? General hope, right? Hope of the immigrant. Second question is, how did it feel for you when I moved 1,100 miles away mm-hmm. at the age of 18 to go to school? I just did the thing you never thought I would do. How did that feel for you? And then they talk very honestly about how much that hurt. Number three, um, as a result of the fact that I did that, how has your life turned out differently? And that's when they talk about the time I took them to Europe, mm-hmm. about climbing castles in Germany and visiting southern Italy and going in a, sum, a submarine right. off the island of, of Capri. Wow. 
<laughs> and all the adventures that we've had, going water skiing in Washington State where I was stationed. Mm-hmm. Because they moved up there. They followed me when I was in the Air Force. They moved. Mm-hmm. So I got to hang out with my parents for like nine years and, you know, take them to the mountains and take them boating. And we went fishing and canoeing. Mm-hmm. So... They got to do incredible adventures, you know, here in the U.S. and also traveling mm-hmm. because they let me go and because yes. I was able to do everything that I did. And that's a very important story because parents need to understand to take that risk, to encourage the child to go to college, even if it's far away, right? Mm-hmm. Um, because it's going to get better for them, too. Yes. That the, the educated child changes the trajectory for the entire family. Yes. And don't believe me. Listen to my parents, right? So my parents tell you. And then the last question is, um, what advice would you give to today's parents of, you know, immigrant parents of kids? And then my parents just tell you their thoughts on why you have to let them go. Or you says, I know that you want to keep them close, but then you'll never know who they're going to become, who they're supposed to become. So they're, they're just great allies. And, yes, they're very proud. But I see the power of their words now mm-hmm. to address the community who still wants to keep their kids home, you know, and working. Amazing. So we're, we're joined up with that mission with my parents, and I'm totally excited about that. Amazing. Well, thank you. Thank you for coming. and could, could listen to these stories the whole day. <laughs> we just thank have you. a short program. Uh, but, you know, it, it's been amazing, and we definitely want you back. I know that you have already uh, two new books in the oven mm-hmm. yep. <laughs> and tons of projects. Every other month you have, like, this amazing new conference to go or thing to do. Uh, so Hopefully, we'll have you more here in the Thank show. Thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah, I try to travel once a month somewhere to speak at a conference. So I'm not doing it too much. Mm-hmm. My husband's awesome. He knows how to stay home and manage three kids. You know, he's yeah. gotten a lot of practice, right? <laughs> um, but, yeah, sometimes I bring my kids with me or I bring one child with me. And they're, they're part of the whole journey so that they know what I do and the, yeah. the impact that the work has. So, yeah, I definitely would love to come back. And I uh, thank you for having me here today, Isabel. Thank you. And this was Atenea Americana. Atenea Americana. Stanford 90.1 FM. Radio Atenea Americana. A window to the Latin universe. This is Radio Atenea Americana. Bilingual house of culture on the air and online. Su casa de la cultura en la radio y online. Para Radio 90.1 KCSU Stanford. I am Isabel Jubes. Isabel Jubes. Vuelve pronto. Atenea Americana. From Stanford to the world. Remember to come back soon. Ciao. See you later.